Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and grab yourself a copy of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Body Melt, Wonder Woman, Ice Cream Man, Christmas Evil, Dolomite, or my favorite, the Wisconsin Blood Trilogy of Blood Beef, Blood Hook, and the upcoming Blood Harvest. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me is my beautiful and talented wife... Amanda. There she goes. She knows her cue. Uh... (laughs) It's not easy to miss when you're like well, full blown arms like pointing. When I do it with Nick, he doesn't get the full blown arms thing because like he while he can see me, it's you know yeah he's doing multiple things at once, yeah. so I can't give him verbal cues like that. So um, on today's episode, uh, me and Amanda decided to do one together. Nick is very busy in Maryland with the, with the Plein Air Arts Festival that his uh, station helps put on, so. He, we, we will eventually be back with a Dark Crystal episode. Maybe. Uh, that's the hope, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll eventually get that Dark Crystal episode. Or it'll be though. Ghostbusters. Or, yeah, we still haven't done Ghostbusters. So, Nick, if you're listening to this, we still have to do Ghostbusters as well. I have not finished watching the last 20 minutes of Ghostbusters out of protest. Um, if you hear that sound, that is actually our cats fighting. We Right now, we are in the office slash podcast studio and all the animals are up here with us. So you're going to hear the sound of nails. You're going to hear cats fighting. You might even hear one of the dogs licking their junk. Yeah, because they follow me everywhere. Yeah. All five of them. Um, and if one of us is on one side of the house and the other one's not, they will whine. Yeah. They don't like when we're not. If if one of, if both of us are home, we have to be in the same room together. Yeah. I mean, so. Frankie's got her head in my lap. It doesn't help that Lewin's brand new and he's... 
picking fights with everyone. Yeah. Or playing. I haven't been able to tell yet. Yeah, so we got a new cat. We named him Lewin off after the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis. Hi. Um, could you, um, could, can I leave this cat with you? With me? Yeah, it's, um, it's the Gorfine's cat. Just so one of them gets back. With me? I just, it slipped out and I don't have the key. If you could just, you could just keep it till they get back. I have to run the over. That's, that's not a problem, is it? It's the Gorfine's cat. I have to run the elevator. Sociology. Uh, Professor Gorfine, please. He's in a lecture now. Can I take a message? Uh, yeah, could you could you just tell him, uh, don't worry, Lewin has the cat. Lewin is the cat. No, Lewin has the cat. I'm Lewin, I have his cat. He's scrappy, for lack of a better term. He's, he's a straight cat for a while. Yeah, he's a street cat, so he's 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 picking fights with everyone, but we love him nonetheless. So, uh, so question for you, Amanda. Yeah. So today we we've got a movie we're going to discuss together. Uh, we got a review for Vinegar Syndrome that I'm going to talk about, but then we also want to talk about a TV show. Where did you want to start? Um, if matinee is the main bulk of it, then I guess let's start there. Okay. Uh, if. For those of you keeping track at home, we are we are discussing today Joe Dante's '90s kind of sleeper hit. No, I wouldn't call it a hit. A sleeper cult film, Matinee. Um, I didn't do a lot of prep for this episode, so I didn't actually ha uh, write our intro. So I we watched the Shout Select Collector's Edition of Matinee that I just recently had picked up. So I'm actually gonna let. Uh... So let me just. Let me just say though, so like I didn't know anything about this when you said you wanted to get it and you showed it to me those few other times and I always thought it was a horror film. A horror film? A horror film. Horror film. Horror film, yes. Uh. Um, and then like it just, I went in with that expectation. So yeah, even after I read the back. I'll post a picture of it to the, to the Instagram page, but the, for those of you at home, that uh, don't own this Shout Select copy of Matinee, you look at the cover and it's a red cover with a ant creature that we later find out is named Mant. Uh, coming out his of the- His name is Bill. His name is Bill, but the <laughs> creature is referred to as a Mant. Uh, coming out of the screen, and it's kind of got this Purple Rose of Cairo vibe to it. Uh, Purple Rose of Cairo is a Woody Allen film about um, this woman who's obsessed with the movies and goes to them every single day, and she can lose herself in it. And then one of the characters in the movie responds to her and be like, lady, you're here every day. What's wrong? Oh, shit. And they come out of the screen, but the movie has to continue on. And you look at the screen, you look at this, it's like, oh, this creature is going to come to life and actually come out. Yeah. Um, and then, I put, um, luckily, Shout Select is like, like a lot of companies where they'll actually let you have both copies of the cover. Let me ask you, would this cover have told you more? Uh, that definitely would have given me the vibe of what it actually do you, was. Do you want to describe the cover for those at home? Um, it's like an old, uh, like movie theater front with, what is it? It's the matinee yeah. line, right? Yeah. With mant on it that says half man, half ant, all terror. Mant. But it has John Goodman on the front <laughs> and an atomic explosion in the back. A bunch of kids standing in front of the theater, two of them making out. Like it looks way more like it's honestly, an 80s, 90s comedy. It's honestly more on the nose. Like yeah. this feel like the the shout select cover and i'll t take pictures of both of these for you guys actually let me just take a picture of them right next to each other right now while i'm thinking of it 
So the Shout Select cover almost feels like it should have been the original, like someone's original cover. And the John Goodman cover almost feels like it would be the redone cover that tries to tell you the story in the entire... I disagree, only because like Shout seems to not always go the on-the-nose route. Like they seem to get something that's a little bit more artistic. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you're, I mean, because you're saying like, John Goodman's mugs not not uh, I almost said autistic artistic. <laughs> um, and I just I feel like now having seen the movie, the shout cover, like I, I get it, I see it. Okay. I just after the few glances that I gave it, it just I had this whole idea of this being a crazy horror film where like this creature comes to life and terrorizes town and so, so on So you were so expecting forth. more of like a 50s horror film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let me, I guess let me describe uh, Matinee or Mantinee uh, if, no. if you prefer. <laughs> uh, and actually the tagline for this movie is kind of great. Lawrence Woolsey presents the end of civilization as we know it. Make that proudly presents. Uh, <laughs> TV Guide says, an affectionate homage to the creature features of the 50s and 60s. John Goodman is at his uproarious best as the William Castle-inspired movie producer Lawrence Woolsey, who brings his unique brand of flashy showmanship to the unsuspected residents of Key West, Florida. It's 1962, and 15-year-old fan Gene Loomis can't wait for the arrival of Woolsey, who is in town to promote his latest offering of atomic power gone berserk mant but the absurd vision of woolsey's tale takes on a sudden urgency as the cuban missile crisis places the the real threat of atomic horror just 90 miles off the coast with the help of woolsey's leading lady ruth the master showman gives key west a premiere they'll never forget anything can happen in the movies and everything does in this hilarious tribute to a more innocent and outrageous time in American cinema. How could such a thing happen, Dr. Cabal? The ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain, just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Rentkins, was released. And that's how he became a... Mant. Gotcha! For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee. Lawrence Woolsey, the master of movie horror, exterminates you with Matt. The story of Matt is based on scientific fact, on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962, a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. They're gonna bomb us? The country is on red alert. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl to. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway, so we should just do whatever we want. You know, last guy she went out with in her farm school? He did teach me a lot. What about? About my body. You think if the bomb were about to fall, she'd do it with me? <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, some of it's stage lighting, some of it's magic show stuff, but the big studios, none of them have anything like it. Do never ever turn one above six. This is it! From Joe Dante, director of Gremlins. You see what he's putting back? The showmanship. The bombs are falling! You think this is some kind of picnic for me? I'm still concerned about that bomb thing. 
little question of taste? No, no, but your younger patrons, you could have some seat wetness. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee. Man, I've seen this twice. This is the first time for both of us, but I feel like I'm a little bit more familiar with Joe Dante, and it's a movie that's I've been wanting to see. I've been tracking down for a while. Funny enough, I actually have owned this film for a while. Really? But on DVD. Oh. Um, and it was from, it was like one of those collections I have. It's like 10 family-friendly movies. Oh. And it's got like this <laughs> and another John Goodman film. It's got Cop and a Half of Burt Reynolds where... I've never seen that. You've never seen... No. Burt Reynolds is a cop. Who has I don't remember I remember watching a lot as a kid who has to uh, babysit this little child yeah. as he's helping him solve a crime. It's your anniversary? And I got a present for you, Bobo. No, 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 not the cards. No, 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 no. All, all of your old baseball cards. No, 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 no. no me importa nada. Don't am. Detective Butler here. What seems to be the problem? Get in the car. Domestic altercations require two police officers. You're not a police officer. Get in the car. Can I talk to you for a minute? Never let civilians see us disagree. It undermines my authority. I'm disgusted. When you stop being mad at him, you're gonna be real mad at yourself. Don't worry, I'll never stop being mad at him. Who are you? The Mickey Mouse Patrol? Get your skinny little butt out of there before she throws you out of there. Nick, please, give me a second, okay? You think it's bad he forgot an anniversary? It's not so bad. I have these big jumbos who always throws me in the toilet. And worse yet, I have him for a partner. You two at least have each other, even though you don't have any more plates. So it's like, it was on there for a bunch of those. And I knew Arrow had released this film. Yeah. And But it was around the time that when Arrow released The Burbs, a couple months later, Shop Factory released The Burbs. So with Arrow releasing Matinee, I was like, while I'm all region, we can buy things from anywhere. I'd rather get it in my native country, just because it's a little more easy. It's a little easier to do. So, Shipping's cheaper. Yeah. So I was like, when um, so Shop Select finally put out matinee, so I was able to see it. But what did you think of the movie, Amanda? Why are we starting with me? Because it, <laughs> okay. it works better if I can ask. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Like I said, I mean, I already explained my, like, preconceived notions going into it, but I really enjoyed what it was. Okay. Um, I mean, it was really funny. It was really silly. It, some of the effects were kind of cool. Like, I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of effects. <laughs> some of them, like, not all of them. But, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. really an effects, like, heavy. Yeah. It wasn't really an effects heavy, like, um, movie or anything like that yeah compared to say something like earlier like like earlier films like uh like gremlins which is yeah pretty much up down sideways just nothing but heavy effects right um however uh john goodman's character his uh the guy that he had dress up as mant mm-hmm. those were the bad effects yeah like the man the mant costume i mean they were intentionally bad because he's low budget mm-hmm. but like it was funny yeah um but yeah i don't know i really liked it yeah, I I, a lot of fun. 
I kind of knew I was going to like it. Um, and I think I might have touched on this a little bit in my top 10 favorite movies episode where I love movies about movies. Yeah. And me and you had, Reese earlier this week, had a conversation kind of about how we love seeing our interests put on screen, even though they may not be the most successful. Like, we were talking specifically about uh, our love for the movie Chef. And my wife went to culinary school. She works in a restaurant. She just has got a, a, for lack of a term, a love affair with food. And just and not even just like eating it, but like preparation of it, the art form behind it. And Chef is the only movie uh, that she has seen that shows food the way she sees it. And a lot of people have said that they like Chef for that, but like it's kind of been something you've been actively searching for. I mean, even before I met you, before I met Chef, I would watch anything, any like movie with cooking as like part of the description or the yeah. cover, which. Like I said, most of them are romantic comedies, and mm-hmm. the food has significantly less to do with anything than the actual romance. Mm-hmm. But And I'm kind of the same way with movies about movies, whether it be making movies or just people talking about movies, movie theaters, any of that stuff. That all really appeals to me. I've got a personal, in my personal rating system, any movie that takes place in a drive-in gets an, or a movie theater gets an extra half star just out of principle. Yeah. So a movie that would normally be three and a half stars will be four stars and so on and so forth. Speaking it's, of, hmm. that just makes me, the drive-in thing just makes me think of Dead End Drive-In and how that just wasn't what I expected it to be. That movie's misleading because it technically takes place in a drive-in, but there's very little mention of movies in it. Right. I specifically <laughs> bought it because it was called Dead End Drive-In and I had this whole image of this like crazy horror film taking place in a drive-in movie theater. It still gets an extra half star though because technically there is a screen and there's cars <laughs> facing towards it to watch it. That counts as a drive. Um, but no, I like I kind of knew I was going to love this movie and it's it's lampooning the time in in horror movies that there's some I like, but like in previous episodes I've talked to Nick about my issue with sci-fi films or the issue I thought I had with sci-fi films because I always thought they're going to be uh, and scientists in white lab coats just talking. And that's kind of what some of these sci- these 50 sci-fi movies were. They always had some of that before the monsters start attacking. Yeah. So it's kind of lampooning the time period in, in film history where I'm not a huge fan of, but I can appreciate. Yeah. Um, and then you got the character of Lawrence Woolsey, who is a an amalgamation of not only William Castle, but Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, see, I didn't know who... Uh, you said William Castle? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't... Like, I recognize the name when you say it, but I didn't know who that was. House on Haunted Hill he produced. Okay. Um, amongst many things. Yeah. Like, he actually... Yeah. So, in this movie, Lawrence Woolsey's got his Atomovision thing. Like yeah. His new gimmick to get people to come to the theater. And, um, um, William Castle had very similar ones. I don't remember what he called the one for House on Haunted Hill. It might have been, like, in, Ver- in Virgo or something like that, where... Spoiler if you have not seen House on Haunted Hill. At the end, a skeleton rises from a vat of acid. And when that happens in the movie, he has a skeleton come across the theater, fly across the theater on a rope to freak people out. Oh, shit. Or in the movie The Tingler, the whole point of The Tingler is it's a, it's a, it's a bug that burrows into your body and essentially like tangles your spinal cord. So he puts buzzers under, people, under random seats. I like how, when you said that, I like that he does random seats mm-hmm. versus... Um, all of them? Yeah, yeah all so of them. Yeah, one person of... who freaks out halfway through the film. Uh, I wish I could have gone to it. There was a screening in California 
that actually did a screening of the Tingler with those rigged seats. Really? Yes. Yeah, because I think that's cool, especially because, like, for those people not knowing what's happening, because, you know, obviously he didn't advertise that that was what was happening, is a lot cooler if, like, the person next to you freaks out and you're like, dude, you're insane. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing happened to mine. Whereas in this film, um, Woolsey has all of them rigged, so then I feel like after once or twice, I'd be like, okay, obviously this is a gimmick. Well, it's like it's like Marcus Theaters was doing that gimmick for a little while with the vibrating seats. Remember? They did that? Yeah, remember we went to go see... We saw one movie oh, with it. Oh, it was Annabelle, and it was awful. Yeah, just because it's like, oh, why is my sh- my? And it's not. It was like, so small, you barely felt yeah, it. Yeah, it's like your chair, your chair is shaking, but it's not like doing anything really. It's a very small amount. It was barely noticeable. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's, but like it's it's a time in showmanship where like William Castle was really the only one doing shit like this. Yeah, because it's he he realized that his movies weren't the greatest. They yeah. weren't the worst. But he knew if he did, if if people were expecting something big, mm-hmm. they would they would come out. And then obviously there's there's uh, some allusions to Alfred Hitchcock. The first time we see uh, Lawrence Woolsey, he's in a perfect silhouette, kind of yeah, like so Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, that's immediately was. why my thought went there because I've seen that picture of Alfred Hitchcock. And Alfred Hitchcock, in his own way, kind of had his own um, antics to get you to come see the movie, like like with Psycho. It's like no one would be admitted past the start time, and which is just such a funny thing that that had to be. Mm-hmm. That that was the gimmick. Yeah, was that you had to be on time. Yeah, and for <laughs> and for those of you out there who don't know, before Psycho, start times for movies were very liberal. People would pay their money to come see a movie, and would usually come in like where, wherever the movie was at. They would just come in and watch it. And then they would they'd finish the movie, and then the next screening would start, and they would watch until it until they caught up to where they're at, and then they'd leave. That's so weird. Like, I mean, technically, I guess you could buy a ticket now and just not go in the theater until later. Mm-hmm. But like, you can't buy a ticket after it's started. Like, there's a point where it's not listed as an option to purchase mm-hmm. tickets for anymore. And it's actually funny. Uh, there was a, a th- kind of a throwaway line in matinee where uh Woolsey's doing one of his speeches uh, he, he, it's it's almost like his patent scene where he's addressing all the people of the theater and he's talking to him about you know it's like the one thing on everyone's mind is is that they're they're afraid or you know something like that mm-hmm. and he's talking to all of them and he's like and these people are going to want to see it again but for but note they can't and then he's, he's like uh, it's like we we sweep the theater in between screens because a lot of times they wouldn't they would just the the uh, Joe Dante, the director of this film, actually talks about seeing a movie in New York. Yeah. Um, in the eighties when it was really rough, and he said he's like you'd go to some of these grindhouse theaters, they'd never turn the lights on, so Weird. the lights were off the entire time. And he said that he was in a screening for some horror movie, and a guy got stabbed in the theater. Holy shit! And they never stopped the movie. Ah. The police came out. They never turned the lights on. He said that was three rows behind me, so I just kind of ignored them and kept watching the movie. That's crazy. So it's like they they barely they didn't really even suit the theaters between movies. So it's like yeah, it was a big deal for you to have a set start time, a set end time, and you couldn't because most most people do they buy a ticket and just hang out all day. Yeah. And the gimmick used to be air conditioning because people didn't have AC in their houses. So which is still crazy to think about considering this movie takes place in Florida. In fucking Florida. <laughs> like honestly, the idea that people lived. 
in the South, especially someplace like Florida without AC, is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. It's like I said last night, at least in the North, if it's cold, which is like our biggest thing, we can just start a fire. Mm-hmm. What do you do when it's hot? <laughs> like over 100 degrees. Right? Some So some of the things I really liked in this film, I really thought, based on what I knew from the film, that Lawrence Woolsey is an important character in this film. I wouldn't call him the main character, though. No, I figured the kid was. Yeah, I definitely think the, the uh, Gene Loomis, I think, was his yeah. name. I don't remember the name of his brother. Was it Billy? Something like Bobby? Mm, I don't think it was Billy, well, but I don't remember. Gene's little brother. Yeah. They're kind of the central focus of this film. And when we first meet them... Even his brother, I feel like, less so. Yeah, it's really Gene. The background of the story is the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it, it's actually a fairly personal movie for me because I was the age of the kids in the movie in 1962 on that fateful weekend that we literally thought there was going to be no school on Monday and no school ever again because the world was going to end. I can't stress enough how much you probably can't conceive of what it's like to actually think that the world is going to end, but it was, it was very heavy. And things I liked about this film is it, it was kind of spoof in the 50s, also, but at the same time, it was kind of a loving tribute to it. Like, the spoof definitely was when they were in their health class, and they're like, you need three servings of red meat a day. I know. It's <laughs> like, during breakfast, you'll have uh, bacon or sausage or some such. A hamburger for lunch. <laughs> or a meat sandwich. Yep. And at night, a pork chop, or not, oh, no, at night, you'll have a steak or something of the such. And it's like... What? <laughs> right, like I was, I could not believe that. And then it was also great too, like when they they had their they had their eight they had their bomb raid drill, and they all had to go out. And it was essentially our hurricane, our tornado drills we used to have in school here in Wisconsin, yeah. where they go out in the hallway and they they get on their knees and put their head between their legs. Did and... we really have to put our head down? Yes, we did. We probably did. I just didn't remember. Like I remember having. I, I always hated because they would always do it in the summer, and it's like it would hurt my knees. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. It's and, obviously been a long time since I've done that. And then there was the little girl, I think her name was uh, Sandra. Sandra, yeah. Who was just all like, this is bullshit. She this was is not going to do cool anything. Character. And she's like, is like this is and she's like calling out like uh she's just calling out all the injustices in the world and it's like, oh, this yeah. character's cool. Yeah, and she's like <laughs> You know, let's watch when the atomic bomb drops if you all survive. <laughs> As they're dragging her away to the principal's oh, office. Oh, the, the best line was something along the lines of, it's like, but if you drag me off to the principal's office, how will I survive this bomb <laughs> attack? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This isn't real. It was real, ladies. Different sirens. How do you know? My father. I said no talking. No. Right now. No, I'm not going to do this. We're not hiding this from you, young lady. This is for your protection. Yes, but it isn't any protection. It doesn't do any good. Kick your heads down. If you think it's going to help you to put your hands behind your neck when the bomb falls, you're wrong. Well, young lady, I think we've had just about enough of this. That girl's a communist. Heads down, people. If you die when the bomb first falls, you're lucky. Because if not, you're going to get radiation poisoning. First your hair is going to fall out, and then you're going to bleed yeah. from your intestines, and then you're going to start throwing up. But you're not even throwing up food. You're throwing up your own organs. Ew. Yeah. Ew is right. Principal's office, let's go. But then I won't have the protection of being on the floor if the bomb falls. I said let's go. They don't tell you the truth. They tell you to put your hands behind your neck, and they keep building bombs. 
Um, and so we kind of live this world through Gene's eyes. He is an army brat. His dad, who's not in the picture, but he's referenced a lot, yeah. um, is in is in the army. And when things start going south with Cuba, he's called in. And there's this kind of this over overarching fear of will we survive? Will we will we, will we even get this movie premiere? Will we get bombed to smithereens? Yeah. And like so much so that the the owner of the theater's got a bomb shelter in the basement of the theater. Yeah. Um, um, Lawrence's uh girlfriend Ruth, she's you know she's even questioning it's like should we really be doing this during? Yeah, she was like, can't we just postpone it right now with the Cuba stuff when they were driving in? The and country is on red alert. People are already scared. Exactly. And what a perfect time to open a new horror movie. And Lawrence is pretty much like, no, this is the best time for it. And I think my, there's two scenes, well, I, I, this movie's great because it's a love letter to movies. Mm -hmm. And the movie theater specifically. Yeah. And there's two great scenes. I'll probably play some audio from, from them where uh, uh, Lawrence is talking about how important scary movies are. Because it kind of gives you something to... A visual to face your fears with yeah i really liked his explanation on how like and i've heard it before how back in caveman times you would get the adrenaline rush from running away from or surviving against some big creature and you always felt better afterwards you felt good and i always thought that was kind of i thought that was a kind of interesting like explanation for why horror films are exciting. Mm -hmm. And then just his, his, his speech about the movie theater. And, yeah. you know, it's there's that's a moment in your life that you can forget about everything. You know, you have the dark room. You have the flickering movie. You've got the... Dark room. Yeah. Quote, unquote. Dark room. You know, the room is not that dark in <laughs> yeah, this movie. Nighttime you, wasn't dark and the theaters weren't dark. You but... have, you know, you have your pop, you have the popcorn. You have, you know, it's like... I'll play the the clip from it, but he kind of explains why how no matter what's going on bad in your life, the movies are always kind of a safe place that you can go and mm -hmm. be entertained for a little bit and not have to worry. I don't think anybody recognized her. What do you spend your whole life sitting in monster movies? A lot, yeah. Somebody like Herb or Vincent Price or someone. It's like they're my friends. That's a strange group. What are your real friends like? I don't have too many. My dad's in the Navy, so we move all the time. Oh, man. 500 new kids a year? That's scary. I remember the one time we moved. Now, this was to the big town, Hatfield, Missouri. I was petrified of those guys. Really? Oh, yeah. But see, now uh, I get my revenge. I get to scare everybody else, but it's for their own good. The people that go like this at the scary parts, they're not getting the whole benefit. You got to keep your eyes open. What's the benefit? Okay, like uh, a zillion years ago, a guy's living in the cave. He goes out one day, bam, he gets chased by a mammoth. Now, he's scared to death, but he gets away. And when it's all over with, he feels great. Well, yeah, because he's still living. Yeah, but he knows he is, and he feels it. So he goes home, back to the cave. First thing he does, he does a drawing of the mammoth. And he thinks, people are coming to see this. Let's make it good. Let's make the teeth real long and the eyes real mean. Boom. The first monster movie. That's probably why I still do it. Make the teeth as big as you want, then you kill it off, everything's okay, the lights come up. 
You see, the people come into your cave with a 200-year-old carpet. The guy tears your ticket in half. It's too late to turn back now. Water fountain's all booby-trapped and ready. That stuff laid out on the candy counter. Then you come over here to where it's dark. It could be anything in there. And you say, Here I am. What have you got for me? And that's kind of how what the movie theater's always been like for me. It's my probably my favorite place to go. Yeah. Um, where no matter what's going on, you can go there and find solace and some entertainment for a little bit. And um, to this day, like, I know people claim that the movie theaters are, aren't, they're struggling. I don't believe that for a second. I have not seen an empty parking lot in any of the theaters in the area in a very long time. I think our first date might have been the only movie we've gone to where we were the only ones in the theater. Yeah, but it was during a blizzard, so... N no, the first date wasn't. Oh, well, that, that was just like negative 30 degrees, though. Yeah, that was negative. Yeah, just negative 30 degrees. Yeah, just... This is Wisconsin. <laughs> where That's like every day for us. Um, But my point is, we, we go to theaters, we go to movie theaters quite often, and they're always, if not packed, they're at least half full. But we've also had quite a few times, especially in the last year, where they've been sold out. Mm -hmm. and, and since we don't buy tickets ahead of time, usually, like, yeah, it's kind of, it's nice. It sucks, but it's nice to see. That people are going. And it's yeah. not even just like the two, the $5 Tuesdays. No, because we something. never go on those days because no. they're always packed and I hate it. Fucking rat race. <laughs> um, and it's funny, like, uh, I we were talking, I was talking like when we, when we were watching the movie that people on online and people I know complain about going to the theater because how unruly the, the 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 audience members are it's like oh there's teenagers talking around their phone this anytime i've seen a movie that takes place in the 50s in a movie theater it's always this where there's people throwing popcorn practically swinging from the railings it's like what we have in comparison is a fucking cakewalk right i think and this isn't even that comparable but the only time that i can think where it was almost too annoying to watch the film was when we saw the woman in black too with that big family that brought their like young kids that were screaming through the whole thing i remember that yeah other than that like i mean there's been times and they weren't screaming because the movie was scary no they just weren't watching they were just screaming yeah um other than that like there have been people on their phones which is annoying yeah but it's never been like i've never had other than that one time where it's like okay i can't even watch the movie it's so bad i will i do have two funny phone stories though um, I have one too then. Okay. Uh, one of them, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go mine, yours, mine. One of them for me was when, I, I don't remember what I went to go see, um, but there was a guy on the phone who was on his Bluetooth headset the entire time. Oh my God. And, hold, and he brought his wife and kid, two kids. He was just steadily holding the conversation the entire fucking movie. What the heck? And it's, you know, it was on a Bluetooth headset just chatting up a storm. While watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the few times I've complained about someone being on their yeah. phone. Yeah. like, yeah, the brightness is annoying. I can live with that. But if you're going to... A constant car And to be and he's, heard, he's loud. He's talking loudly because he's trying to talk over the movie. Yeah. So what's yours? Um, one time, I probably told you when it happened, but we went to see some movie. I don't remember what it was. And I looked over because this guy was texting through the hot entire time. And he had his phone turned towards me away from the girl that was, who was sitting next that to That was my other story. Oh, okay. Um, he had his phone turned to me so I could see the person that he was texting was like wifey with a heart. 
and he like the point that he had it turned away from the other girl and was texting someone named Wifey. I was like, shit, <laughs> you shouldn't my, be here right now. <laughs> that was my other story. So I was like, in comparison, I think we have it rather than good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So back to I guess back to the movie. Um. I feel like I've got a lot to say about Lawrence. Um. The last thing I'll say about him before we start talking talking about some of the other characters is uh, another great scene is I love as a true old school movie producer he's trying to find a movie in anything yeah so when he they're filling up the gas <laughs> he sees and he he goes oh my god and he sees a uh, stuffed alligator and he goes manigator <laughs> alaman <laughs> what was the final one uh well manigator no, I thought that was another really short one. Well, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. Really. But, but yeah. like, he's just like he's constantly coming up ideas, and I was like, and I was like, I like Man. how they're all the same shtick, though. Yeah, and I was like, and thinking about it too, it's like, Sci-Fi Channel would fucking love this guy. Oh yeah. Like things like Lava Lantula and and uh, Anaconda Rantula and shit like that. <laughs> right. Um, and so we were talking earlier about like. How Lawrence, while he's definitely the most memorable character, yeah, uh, he's not really he's not really the main character. He's Gene Loomis, the uh, the the young fifteen year old kid, is really the main character, and it's kind of his coming of age story with him, you know, moving to this new town. He's a monster kid, very much like a lot of his horror nerds were, where you know he's obsessed with monsters and things mm -hmm. like that, and scaring his little brother, scaring his little brother. And it's him dealing with the fact that he doesn't really have any friends. There's a group that he kind of hangs out with, but I get the feeling he doesn't like them very much. I kind of took that whole situation as he didn't really hang out with them yeah. until that moment. Because it was the other kid that was talking about how cool his dad was and how his dad does this because he's also on the base. He was trying to make friends, but mm -hmm. Gene... I mean, Gene even told his mom, what's the point? We're not going to be here for that long anyway. Mm -hmm. And then that kid pulled Gene into the conversation. Yeah. So, like, I kind of got the impression that Gene didn't really talk to or hang out with anyone. Yeah, and I, th I thought the movie did a decent, uh, did a good job. Stop fighting cats. I thought the movie did a really good job of kind of showing the loneliness that comes from moving town to town. Yeah. Especially, like, like you said, there's really no point in making friends. You don't know how long you're going to be there. And it's not like now where we can go on the internet and keep in touch or mm -hmm. text. And it honestly kind of reminds me of that speech from Heather's where JD moves around often yeah. and he goes, no matter how many times I move around, I always have the solace in knowing wherever I go, there'll be a snappy snack shack. And it's <laughs> like for this kid, that's the movies. Yeah. He doesn't need to make friends because he knows he can always find some enjoyment by going to the movies. Yeah. Um, and I also love too that this movie chose to bro break some rather annoying tropes that you sometimes get. You know, he's, um, the day, um, what day was I off? Was that yesterday? Yeah. So yesterday I, I had off of work and I just realized The Wonder Years was on Netflix, or sorry, on Hulu. So I decided, to, and I never watched The Wonder Years as a kid. So I decided to go back, go through and watch it. I watched the entire first season because it's only six episodes. So it's okay. not, not that big of an achievement. So I don't know what this is. The, the Wonder Years was a TV show from the 80s that is about growing up in 1968. Okay. And they went on for like six seasons. It's a coming of age story about this young kid named um, Kevin Arnold, and him growing up throughout time. And he's got this older brother who's in this who's in the show, who 
is this a jerk? He's a piece of shit. He's always like beating them up. They they rarely have like a moment of niceness between them, except for like the occasional moment where their dad yells at them or something like that. Like it's there. It's just for the most part he is that dickwad brother. He's essentially Buzz from Home Alone. Okay. So what I liked that this movie did was Gene uh, uh, Gene made fun of his brother. He tried to scare him and everything. And like when they're watching the coming attractions for Mant, he's. You know, his little brother's like, is this real, Gene? He goes, well, yeah, two towns over, a guy got turned into an ant. And, yeah. you know, he's trying to fuck with him. But, like, when it really comes down to it, he's a really good brother. Oh, like, yeah. Like, you can uh, tell he really, it wasn't like he gave him shit, but he legitimately cared about him. He loved him. Yeah, because, like, their father's not around very much. And it's not from the lack of wanting to. Just, yeah. You know, with the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything going he's on. He's in the Navy, so he's got he's a lot going on. kind of stuck. So Gene kind of takes over that role of being a, a positive influence in his brother's life and is trying to calm him down and... I don't know. I just appreciated that yeah. dynamic. Because like, he went in in the middle of the night or took or took him to bed or something like that, if I remember right. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then in the end, when he was going to fall... Like, he was for the first one there to, like, help him and, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. save him. And it was just nice because it's, like, I feel like a sibling... Sibling rivalries are usually one or the other. They're either best friends in films or they're complete enemies. And, like, it's not very often that they, they seem can, to get it right. Yeah, they, they kind of show it down the middle. Yeah. And it really comes down to your siblings because... Um, but I, I saw a lot of my own older brother... When I was younger, in in Jean, and, yeah. and I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, and he's, I have to say, like, all the performances by the by the young kids were all really really good. Like I've not seen many of these actors in other things. Like I know uh, I've not seen the actor who played Jean in anything. Mm-hmm. The the girl who plays his his love interest, I guess for lack of a better term, I believe she was the oldest Sandra? sister. Yeah, she was the oldest sister in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, and I'd seen her in things. I've seen that forever. You had, um, you had the. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on characters' names at the moment. But you had one of Gene's friends, uh, and he he was Max Dennison in, in Hocus Pocus. So yeah. Like, I kept seeing these faces. Oh, I can't that remember I vague, his name either, but yeah. I kept seeing these faces. Oh, he had a really amusing subplot too. Um, hold on, let me look up this character's name real quick because I, if I'm gonna be talking about him, I want to at least know what his name is. Okay, the actor's name is Omri Katz, and, uh, wow, that's a really interesting name, Omri Katz, and he played a character by the name of Stan. Um, so Stan is really interested in this girl named Sherry. It's kind of like, there's, there's actually a really funny scene where they're trying to get, they're trying to get dates for a dance. Remember this? And Stan was saying to him that is like all you have to do is go up to her and be like me and you were gonna go see a horror picture together wow hey so you got a day for that show saturday no oh yeah get one see this kind of special plate here in here florida no key west it's like the makeout capital of the world it's like there's something in the air even the grown-ups like doing it you get a date for saturday you'll see what i mean i haven't really met anybody oh you just walk up and ask them man it's easy like taking you to a monster movie. Don't worry about the monster getting you. Worry about me. <laughs> Don't be late. I want to get milk duds. Really? Like that? Yeah. Because you're in control, man. She likes it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, like, giving him this, like, big cocky line that he needs to say. And he's like, oh, she's like, oh, that's all I have to do? He's like, yeah. 
And then they run into Sherry, who stands like bell of his, like you know the 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 what's what's that expression the uh, something of your eye. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't you, you know, he, he's the apple girl of my eye. apple of his eye, and he's loses it, can't talk to her at all. Yeah. But he finally gets up the courage to talk to her, and they and they start uh, showing interest in each other. And then Sherry is hard up on her ex boyfriend. Um, hold on, what's was his name? Hard up Harley. on Har- Harvey. Harvey. She's uh, he she's stuck on her ex boyfriend Harvey, who is a poet. In such like an awkward way too. Like it's not even just like oh she misses him and like in private she. Pines you know, over yeah, him. but no, like she. They're walking down the street, and she's like, did you hear that I dated an older guy? And he's like, yeah. And, she, and she's like, well, he was a poet. Did you want to hear one of his poems? He was yeah. really good. Like, it starts off fine, because, like, I, you, she, you felt very much like, I used to date an older guy. His name was Harvey. He wasn't a bad guy. You know, it's just yeah. like, you know, I just want you to know about this. But then, yeah, like Amanda said, he's like, he used to be a poet. Do you want to hear one of his poems? This, uh, this editor in New York said that he was primitive. Like, and then she's got this, this funny smirk. She's like, I could have told him that. Yeah. And, it's and like, then I was okay. like, it's like, how old are you? And Harvey looks like he looks like he just walked up the set of Grease. He looks 30. <laughs> right. And his poetry is Awful. fucking terrible. Maybe that's what they meant by primitive. I didn't yeah. know at the moment, but like. Like he, he tells this great poem. And I don't remember any of the words. He tells this great poem about how fate is a river and you just got to stab it with a knife. <laughs> it's like I once wrote in a poem. Destiny. It's like a crazy river. Where you see different people's boats that they have going by on it. But tomorrow, tomorrow's a knife. Tomorrow's a big knife. You get it? Uh, sort of. Mean. Oh, and then and then uh, Lawrence Woolsey at, near the end of the film has this great look. It's like after uh, Harvey has uh, so Lawrence hires Harvey to be uh, to be his mat, a, a person to run out in the theater and scare people. But he's also running all the machines and everything. And throughout all of this, he sees Larry and um, Sherry together. Gina, Sorry, or not uh, Gene. Stan, Stan and Sherry together, and he freaks out, and he like kidnaps her with a knife, and he's reciting all this terrible fucking poetry (laughs) as he leaves like Phantom of the Opera style, and Lauren, just completely deadpan, goes, what does she see in him? (laughs) And he's got some of the best lines in the movie when he's barely even trying. Like, there's a scene near the end of the film where they get, where, um, where Gene and and Sandra get locked in a bomb shelter together. And oh the, 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 the theater owner is like, they're in there, man. And like, I'm supposed to be in there and the world, end of the world's coming. And where, where he's like, yeah, we just gotta, we just gotta, we just gotta take out these two spots here. They promised me this would never open. And he's like, I am in the wrong business. Like he's just so, he's cool as a cucumber the, the entire film. Yep. So, oh, do you have something you want to say? So like the kind of the crux of this film comes near the end where, and this is kind of what I, I thought this movie was going to have a slightly different ending. Okay. But, uh, so I thought this movie was going to have a slightly different ending. 
I really thought it was going to... So what happens is... Um, Larry's got this tomo vision thing. Mm -hmm. So what that means is throughout periods of the film, you know, the seats will rumble. Or there will be, like, explo like, small explosions in the theater to really immerse you into the movie experience. 4D, before 4D. Pretty much, but done <laughs> way better and probably not very safe. Yeah. Um, and because he, he, he's a showman and he talks about how his love for, like, magic and illusions kind of really helped yeah. build this. And he's got this, this rumble-rama machine that's supposed to uh, rock the theater, like, shake the theater, essentially... Um, for effect, and he tells Harvey never to turn it up too high. To be fair, he was giving Harvey a lot of information in a very short amount of time, and expected the kid to remember all of it. Yeah. So where it starts happening is the movie start as the movie starts really ramping up. Um, the machine kind of goes haywire, and it's rumbling so much that that's what makes the theater owner think that oh shit, I need to get in my bomb shelter because this is what's finally happening. Yep. It starts to slowly crumble the theater, which is putting everyone in danger. As things start ramping up, uh, Harvey is uh, freaking out in the man suit and attacking people. And all this shit's happening, just making this premiere wild because the people watching the movie have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. And I was legitimately convinced where, you know, like, when Mantle was supposed to come out of the screen and, they, you know, they, they, all these things were happening, I really thought what was that, because they're all, it was building towards a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Taking out Mant. Yeah. I really thought where the, this movie's going to have a way darker ending and that when the nuclear bomb in the movie happens, a nuclear bomb was going to take out the theater. Oh. Wow. That's realistically where really? I thought this was going, Yes. See, I guess once I realized it was a comedy, I, don't, I mean, it didn't necessarily end exact. I don't know what I was expecting, but I definitely didn't see it ending like. There's no fire that. in there. Oh, I turned it off. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really cool. I really thought something legitimately blew through. Yeah. That was cool. And then this movie is great too because it uses movie magic as a way yep. to solve its problems. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I thought it was going, and it's like it's it's. It's kind of like a madcap comedy in that way, where it's all these crazy things happening at one time that kind of lead up to the end. And uh, this movie's got a really great momentum to it, where it starts kind of slow and nostalgic. And but once once Lawrence is introduced into this movie, it just doesn't stop. It's constantly yeah. ramping up. It's got this great mixture of, of of nostalgic love of movies, but also like to but it's not so dated where you can't relate to the characters. Yeah. Uh, which is sometimes hard when you do a movie that takes place in another time period. It's very easy to get so wrapped up in the in the time that it's hard to relate to anyone. Right. So that's why I'm glad that there was like progressive characters like like Sandra and yeah and um, yeah yeah. I thought it was cool. I also Overall. love I also love too that they legitimately shot Mant. I know. I still want to go back and watch that. So one of the special features on the Shout Select disc is the the full version of Mant. Joe Dante legitimately shot the movie because uh, they show inserts from it all the time. Instead of just shooting those couple inserts he needed, he shot a 22-minute version of Mant that you can watch as a special feature. I and still want to watch that. And like, That's insane. The thing that... Uh, for me, what makes a good movie 
is when the movie's over that you not only wishing there was more, not necessarily more of the more of the story, but it's like oh more of the world. Or... Yeah, I want more. I want to see what Larry Woolsey's up to next. I want to see more of Gene figuring out his life. Like this could have honestly been a t like maybe not a TV show, but I could have watched probably another hour worth of these characters. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's something that I really responded well to. But I like most of Joe Dante's film. I love Gremlins. I think The Burbs is one of the funniest movies ever made. I didn't realize he did all of those. Mm-hmm. I didn't he, recognize his name. Uh, he also did a um, movie called Interstellar, uh, Explorers. He did a... Not Interstellar, sorry. Uh, fuck, what was that movie called? Whatever. He did a movie called Explorer. Okay. Well, no, what was the name? Hold on, I'm gonna list. I'm gonna list through some of his credits because it's not called Interstellar. It's something. Very I was gonna simple. say I didn't think that was done by Joe Dante. Directed Interstellar. You've heard it here first. So Joe Dante did Gremlins one and two, The Burbs, Small Soldiers. You remember Never that movie? That. You know what it is though, right? Like about the the tacking toys that come to life, the Gorgons and. No. Okay. Uh, it was a big movie when I was a kid. Oh. We were kids around the same time. Well, then you haven't heard of Small you seriously not heard of Small Soldiers? Oh, okay. I recognize that. I've never seen it, though. That's sad. He did the Halloween. He did a section on Twilight Zone, the movies. He did Looney Tunes back in action Hmm. with Brendan Fraser, if you remember that movie. (laughs) Vaguely. Inner Space was the movie I was trying to think of. Piranha, Explorers. He did a movie called The Hole that I liked quite a bit. Okay. Oh, a movie you turned me on to, Burying the X. Oh, Burry. Oh, okay. I Barry. thought you said Barry and the ex. No, like... Barry and the ex. You know, when, oh, okay. he, when his girlfriend yeah, dies yep. and he meets a new girl and then his ex That was a fun comes... movie. I found that on Netflix randomly. So I was like, he's done a lot of great things. And um, yeah, uh, he's. I'm pretty much gotten to the point where I, I know Joe Dante style well enough where he makes essentially live action cartoons is the way yeah. they view his style. Like all of his films kind of feel like a cartoon. I could see it. Like even so much so like in The Burbs when... A character falls through the roof of a shed, and when they zoom out from his hole, it's a perfect imprint of his body, <laughs> cl- right. including fingers. Yeah, it's like it's just these little cartoon flourishes. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that you liked about the movie that you wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered everything. Like it just it had really good characters. Like I liked most of them. I don't think there's any that I really didn't like. I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't like Sherry. I, I Surprisingly, I liked Harvey more than I liked Sherry, and Harvey's kind of a hothead. Why did you like Harvey? Because I thought he was pathetic and funny. <laughs> like, his poetry was so bad it made me laugh. Like, I guess I don't Fair, actually I like the character. I mean, I was going to say, he kidnapped his, I assume, ex-girlfriend. Granted, she was still obsessed with him. I but... do have to say, Harvey's introduction was amusing to me because they didn't go the route of, like, if you continue t- seeing Sherry, I'm going to kill you. He kind of said that, but in yeah. a very roundabout way, because he's like, he's like, I'm going to leave you alone, but I just have a couple questions for you first. Are you seeing Sherry? And then like the way he threatened him was like by reading his stupid poem to him. Right. So it's like he didn't like all the the ways that you expect this film to go. It goes there, just finds a different route to take. Yeah. Which is I what I appreciate about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess that would be, I would say that's matinee. Um, before we dis- before I get to my vinegar syndrome release, I have. Did you want to talk about the TV show first, or did you want me to do that first? You can do that first. Okay. So, on top of talking about matinee, I'm also going to talk about a vinegar syndrome release. Amanda watched maybe five minutes of it. 
but we're still going to talk about it. It's called. It's one of. It's at this point, it's a little bit older of a release. It came out last year. It's called The House of the Dead, aka Alien Zone. Such a weird combination of titles. Four tales of intrigue and horror await anyone brave enough to enter the house of the dead. When a philandering husband accidentally finds himself lost during a rainstorm, he is taken in by an elderly mortician and is forced to learn the ghastly origins of four freshly arrived corpses. A scornful teacher whose students teach her a fatal lesson, an amateur filmmaker with a deadly muse, two dueling detectives attempting to solve a mystery, a mysterious murder, and a bitter man whose arrogance costs him everything. Directed by Sharon Miller, uh, who did a movie, who did a movie called After School Specials, and featuring atmospheric photography by Ken Gibb, who directed Drive-In Massacre, this low-budget Oklahoma-made horror anthology features a collection of ghoulish vignettes ranging from wryly comedic to genuinely grim and unsettling. Barely, barely released theatrically and only available in murky video sourced editions vinegar syndrome presents the house of the dead originally released as alien zone newly restored from its original 35 millimeter negative and on blu-ray for the very first time so this movie has definitely got one of the most intrigue uh one of my favorite setups to a horror to a horror anthology because the hardest part about a horror anthology is coming up with your wraparound Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to be the reason you're telling these stories? Yeah. TV shows have it a lot easier because you don't really need it. Um, but this honestly felt like it could have been the pilot for a television show. Where you could have kept using this setup of this mortician. Yeah. It's a really cool, really cool idea that you could keep using. Yeah. So this more, so this, this, this cheating husband is visiting town. And he needs to get back to his hotel so he can call his wife. This is at least the excuse he keeps giving. And the taxi cab drops him off in the wrong street. It's pouring rain. He doesn't know where he's at. Doesn't know how to get anywhere. And he's just knocking on doors. Figuring to see someone to let him in. And finally, this elderly man lets him in. And he brings him in. He offers him a cup of coffee. And they start talking and everything. And Ralphie, stop it. Um, they start talking. And he's like, well... I'm a, I'm a mortician. I want to show you something interesting. And the guy's like, nah, I'm going to get going. <laughs> and he's like, I offered you a cup of coffee. I offered you a warm place to sit. You can humor me for five minutes. So. It's a little weird. Hey, I'm a mortician. I <laughs> I do up dead bodies. You want to come look I at them? I do them up right. <laughs> you want to come look at them? Like. And so he takes me to go go see them. And he's like, every, he's like, every dead body's got a story. And he shows him the first one, which is this teacher. And I always used to, like, you know me. I love slasher films. And I was yeah. like, I always wanted to do a slasher. When I was in film school, I wanted to do a slasher film. But I was like, how do you do a slasher film as a short? This is a perfect slasher film as a short. It's about this, this shitty teacher who hates her students. And there's a home invasion that night. And uh, I'm sure, I don't want to spoil necessarily what happens. But, you know, um, she gets her comeuppance. The only one I'm going to spoil is is the one that Amanda watched a little bit with me. Uh, so the next one is about a, a, as they said in the back of the box, he's an amateur photographer who has a video camera or a, a film camera set up in his apartment. And the entire segment is shot through the eye of either that camera or the cameras of the photographers who are 
who are um, filming him being taken away in handcuffs. And they use those cutaways as a place to logically cut. You know, uh, mm-hmm. um, so that was really creative. But then yeah. the one that you watched a little bit of, of was about these, these two detectives. One, one's an American good detective and one's an English detective. And they are both considered to be the best in their field. And so much so that, like, they have memorized the, the exact magazine and date that it comes out that's like, you know, this person is the best. No, this person's the best. They, they have it out for each other. Um, the, the English detective is in town visiting um, and just wanted to come s- step in and just watch how his competition solves their crimes. Mm-hmm. And he gets, that, he gets a letter that's saying... Um, you have three days to solve this murder or I'm going to kill someone. It's very important to you or something like that. Yeah, someone important to um, And the English guy is like, oh, now I can see you at work and see how this and see how this goes. And where about did you fall asleep? It was about then. All right, so the, the American detective is trying to figure it all out and the English guy is like giving them hints along the way. They're like, oh, maybe you should try this. And eventually the American detective goes, you know what, fuck off, dude. I said you could watch. I didn't say you could help. I need you to back the fuck off, let me do my job Mm -hmm. and figure this out because this matters more to me than it matters to you because it's my family that's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What we find out, so this is a spoiler, what we find out is it's actually the English detective. I thought that as soon as that letter came or like actually even when I first started it and like they first introduced the English detective at the first crime scene, mm-hmm. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if it, I didn't necessarily think it was him, but like if it was one of the two, mm-hmm. even if it was the American guy who had the letter sent to himself mm-hmm. to show like, look at me, be great. And and they, and they did some nice things that cause I that, I thought that too because I thought that'd be the most ironic ending. Yeah. But they actually did some decent stuff throughout the witch to kind of like pull you away from thinking that. Yeah. Because I think that's where most people's brains are gonna go. Yeah. But where it gets interesting was and you know in the end he's like he's like you had told me to come up with the who why and when and he's like in the who or the or, you know the the who what and when or some shit like yeah. that. Yeah. And he's like in the what is murder obviously said in the letter. It's like, the who, it says someone important to me. I have deduced that that important person is myself. And, it's like, and, and, and he's like, the where is now from you, or some shit like that. And he deduces it all. And he's like, oh, you did a good job. And um, um, and, and uh, he's, he's like, the one thing you didn't figure out is how I'm going to do it. He's like, I'm going to use a gun. Because no one, no one will suspect a British crime fighter or guns aren't legal to use a gun to shoot you. So automatically that's going to people aren't going to think it's me and uh, <laughs> shoots him like three times and the detective falls and he's like clutching the like you know clenching for air and everything and he goes one thing you uh you hadn't realized is i solved this crime three days ago and clicks a button and a sword goes through the fucking british guy's chest holy crap <laughs> yeah and kills him wow and then it, it gets even crazier too because then uh uh the british guy brought a briefcase with him and the, uh, the, uh, the American guy actually had a bulletproof vest on. Okay. Anticipating it. He opens the briefcase. It was a fucking bomb. <laughs> wow. It's fucking... It was just so super... It was super satisfying in the end. Because like at, the first, at the beginning, I was like, I don't know how much I'm going to enjoy this one. And that's one yeah. thing I've learned about anthologies. 
I always feel like the first minute or couple minutes of one of these shorts, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like this one. And then they'll do something to, like, yeah. turn you around. Yeah. And then the last one, which I th actually feel like might be the weakest of them, is about this um, this guy who works for a, a big office who, you know, is just f filled with hate and spiteful and shit. And he doesn't want to hang out with any of his coworkers. He's constantly in a shitty mood. He's got this inner monologue going the entire time of him insulting people. And he meets this homeless man who's trying to stop him. And he goes, and he just assumes the homeless man's asking him for money. And he's like, no, I fuck you. I don't want to help you. Mm -hmm. And he goes to a little store, enters. There's nothing in the store. He turns around, the door's locked. He can't get out. And then it becomes kind of like this Saw-esque situation hmm. of him fighting for his life and... I'm not going to tell everyone what happens, but yeah. you, you find out later on that the homeless man was trying to warn him, but because he gave no attention to people he thought were below him. Oh, that's shitty. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this movie is actually really interesting. I, um, I had a, an image in my mind of what it was going to be like, especially because both titles, The House of the Dead and Alien Zone, I was like, one, those titles have nothing the fuck to do with each other. The House of the Dead makes more sense. Yes. Being... Uh, but then I was like, why was it called Alien Zone originally? Like, yeah. it's kind of crazy. Um, so I had this idea in my mind. It was like 1978, so I just figured it was going to be like a very low budget, kind of like spook house movie type thing. And yeah. I was honestly avoiding it. But it became one of, I think, one of my one of the sleeper hits, one of the best things that Vinegar Syndrome has sent me. Okay. Because um, it's fascinating. I love that it was directed by a female director. Yeah, that is really cool. Especially um, for that time. Yeah, and she got started like directing TV shows like Grizzly Adams and things like that. Okay. And she wanted to make a movie, and she got together with the screenwriter, and he's like, I don't have anything right now. He's like, come on, you don't have like a script in your drawer or something you didn't finish? You have to have something. And he's like, well, I have this script that I originally titled uh, Five Faces of Death or some shit like that. And they, they made that. And so where the title Alien Zone came from, and I actually found this on one of the interviews on here, the one of the producers in the film was like, "Eh, the title's not really doing it for me. You gotta think of something better. We're gonna, you gotta think of something that's gonna draw people in." It's nineteen seventy-eight. Aliens popular. That movie Alien. And Twilight Zone. And and it's kind of like Twilight Zone because of what's called Alien Zone. I remember you saying that you wondered if it was yeah to like live off of that. And they're like, "But there's no aliens in this movie. Who cares?" <laughs> and then they eventually retitled the House of the Dead. But um, but was it originally released as Alien Zone? Yes. Okay, so there is an official. So even, even it. in Letterboxd, uh, it's referred to as Alien Zone. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Most of the posters I found were referring to it as Alien Zone. Um, I wonder why Vinegar Syndrome did it under the same. I don't know, but the Alien Zone poster is not even as good. Oh wow! Yeah, no, that's awful. Where the Vinegar Syndrome House of the Dead poster is fucking fantastic. They usually have good posters. Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome does their releases right. Yeah. Uh, so then in terms of special features, um, obviously, as always, it's uh, newly scanned and restored in 2K from its 35mm original camera negative. Uh, an audio interview with director Sharon Miller. Uh, an audio interview with, direct, with screenwriter David O'Malley. A reversible Alien Zone cover artwork and English subtitles. So the special features on this are not bad. But I think I've talked about this on, on previous releases. My issue with interviews where 
it's not an actually filmed this was an audio interview so oh. you hear the voice of uh, one of the head guys of vinegar syndrome and they're doing it over the phone and they just have a, a picture slideshow going in the background it's not super interesting to watch it's something that i i would think about putting on in the background if i'm washing dishes or something yeah. it's not the same as actually having a setup interview and them talking to the person so th there's interesting stuff in it yeah there's interesting tidbits is where i found out about the whole alien zone thing um it's just it's not as interesting had they set up an interview but i'm sure it's one of those situations they couldn't get them out yeah or, it probably was I'm, i know there's there's definitely a reason but if you were like me and you were sleeping on alien zone or aka the house of the dead check it out because not only is it fascinating but it's an amazing restoration i actually posted on my instagram a side by side of a, a picture that i took off of my television versus a rip of a vhs copy of the film it's literal night and day difference it is and that's impressive considering anytime like most of the time if you take a picture of a screen it's usually not a good picture and it's how much better it it's looks so much better yeah so this movie looks fantastic and i i give the house of the dead a huge huge recommendation uh, and before we finish up for the day, um, in kind of in, con in continuation of my 10 favorite movies list, since I talked about Heather's being one of my favorite movies, um, one of Amanda's co-workers suggested we check out the Heather's TV show. Dear Diary, yesterday's lunchtime poll asked, who are you? When it finally came my turn, Heather C. turned to me and said, well, suck my third nipple. If it isn't Veronica Sawyer, how Banana Republic. It's ironic, Heather. We're not doing irony anymore. Keep up. Yeah, keep up. Shut up, Heather. Yeah, shut up, Heather. Heather, only I tell Heather shut up. Oh, yeah. In the spot, I came to have fun. Dressed to the nine, so they know I'm number one. Fat kids can be popular. The preferred term is body positive. What about the Asian kids? And the genderqueer? Right. Obviously, the gays and Jews are over. She looks like if Jim Henson got in one last puppet before he died. Gosh, Heather. Super mean way to treat the mentally challenged. Jesus. Who is this? I'm JD. I like your whole rebel thing. Let's snort Adderall. Make out. And kill Heather. What? Mm. You can't go one night without your domestic terrorist boyfriend. He's a teenage Charles Manson. What a tragedy. Tragedy? He was only paralyzed from the waist down. Um, your boyfriend is a loser. You're jealous. Fatty. You're about to get flamed. So why do you hang out with her? It's high school. Why do we do anything that we do? I was hoping all the sex you're having would finally deep dick the quote of the day out of you, but I guess not. You were nothing before you met me. I wish Heather Chandler would just die so that I can finally be free. Whatever you do, make sure it matters. Ooh la la. Don't think of it like you're hurting, Heather. Think of it like you're helping everyone else. Oh my clit. We're gonna be late for school. Heather Chandler killed herself this morning. She certainly didn't look suicidal. Her skin was flawless. Mm. 
that. Yeah, um, Heather's is one of her favorite t- her favorite movies. Um, I found out about that shortly after we started working together when she um, was bought like last minute tickets to the final day of the Heather's uh, play. So jealous. I know, and I didn't know it was in town. Otherwise, I totally would have bought tickets. But um, so yeah, so I knew that she liked it, and we talked about how it was one of your favorite movies. And um, I don't remember how it came up, but she oh she started watching it with her boyfriend, and she suggested giving it a shot because she wanted to know our opinion, specifically yours, since you've loved it for loved the movie for so long. Everyone wants to know my opinions on things, Amanda. It's not surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so she wanted to know what we thought because she had a lot of opinions on it. So she's farther ahead than we are. I don't know if she's actually finished yet. Um, but I know we're through episode two now. Mm-hmm. And I think she's at least like four or five last time I talked to her. Yeah. So, so I figured, and maybe this will be an ongoing thing that we will just, you know, every so often I'll throw on a little, you know add-on of me and Amanda talking about Heather's, uh, the Heather's TV show until we finish the show, but we were two episodes in and we want to discuss it a little bit. Um, I honestly don't know how I feel. I think I'm leaning more towards that I don't like it. It's definitely not my favorite. I feel like they, my biggest issue is that it doesn't really feel like they're trying to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... I understand they're trying to make it contemporary. You know, they're trying to, they want to talk about relevant things. Um, And I think that's cool, but I don't really feel like they picked a topic and decided to commit to it. Yeah. It just kind of feels like they're, they're saying these things and doing these things to be like, yeah, we're contemporary. That's where our story Mm -hmm. takes place. But they're not actually like commenting on any social issues yeah like so, so like the original heathers is all about the idea of teenage suicide which was kind of a, a a topic a hot button topic in the 80s i could be very wrong i know people joke about suicide all the time but i don't know if it's as big of a deal as it once was it very well could be topic wise yes like in terms of is it something that's as relevant now as it was when the original Heather's I feel out. like it's more safe to talk about it now okay. just because mental illness is more safe to talk about now. Like, that's a good point. Because you're, tr- you know, there's so many people are trying to normalize it. Like, it's okay. And that, like, wanting to talk about, you know, having suicidal thoughts is more accepted in that you can then get help. Mm-hmm. Whereas... I wasn't alive in the 80s, but I'm assuming that you couldn't just go see a therapist about your depression and get medicine and talk things through and be better. Mm-hmm. So it's like it feels very lost in, in the point it's trying to make because at times it feels very much still trying to attach itself to the original movie. Yeah. But then when it has to talk on anything contemporary, they'll bring things up, but they don't really explore it very far. Right. Like I said, from the first episode, I thought that they were going to comment on how, especially with social media now, everyone stands up for all these causes. There's all these things that people represent and that they're, they feel that are important to them. But like when it comes down to it, not everyone actually commits to that like so many people are are, i can't think of like an exact example but like they're 
like let's make sure that there are no homeless but yet they don't always actually support the causes that will actually give people jobs mm-hmm. or like provide people places to stay and that like isn't brought up in the in the show it's just like the only example i can think yeah. of but like because they kind of mentioned that like because they have the lgbtq they have the body positivity movement like they talk mm-hmm. about all this stuff briefly yeah. But it doesn't really and feel important to the plot. It's also interesting, too, because in the original Heathers, Heather Chandler, who was the lead Heather, didn't care about anything. She would align herself with people who did care about things because it would it would progress her. Yeah. Um, Heather Chandler in this one cares about things. She, like, in the first episode, when a character is, uh, when the character of Ram is wearing a, a, a t-shirt mask like mascot t-shirt for remington college that is an offensive depiction of native american she makes him take it off and she makes him feel bad about himself mm-hmm. and here she is like i think actually uh, veronica sawyer in this show says she's a bitch about things she cares about about the right things. yeah about the right things yeah. and i was like oh that's interesting and then they kill her off quote unquote um and then another and the character named by the name of betty finn takes over and she kind of makes it's a very mixed message in this way because she makes the school go back to being kind of like a class system of you know uh, she claims she loves everyone but yeah and you, they're all gonna be friends but and... it's very segregated yeah and i was like oh that's interesting um the progressive liberal character for for all intents and purposes who's your you're portraying as the bad guy she's changed the you know she had the school one way this other character who takes over takes the school the other. I just can't figure out what they're trying to comment on or what where they're trying to go. Right, like I don't ever like a better way to put it. I don't know whose side they're on. And like Heather Chandler's supposed to be the bad guy, but like and like she's a bitch and she's kind of shitty to some people. Uh, like don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like she's a good person and like I would want to be her friend, but like I think she's the most interesting character mm-hmm. and. I just it seems like not what I should be feeling. I feel yeah. like I should be liking Veronica. She should be more intriguing. Or, or JD. Or JD, but they're my least favorites. Yeah, because we're we're talking about it and it's it's um a big part of why JD and Veronica worked in the original is because they were not safe choices for casting. Christian Slater wasn't a big name at the point, but he was kind of a bad boy. Um, uh, Winona Ryder hadn't done Beetlejuice yet. She had done some movies, but she also wasn't a huge name at the time. Yeah. But they brought this. In, they're they 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 were attractive people that had an edge to them, and you cared about them. And as the sh- movie went on, like JD was unique, but he didn't show off how crazy he was until the movie progressed. Right. Same, uh, and whereas the JD and the new one, JD and Veronica both feel like they were just trying to cast attractive people. That, yeah. have, that have nothing unique about them. So much so that JD feels crazy from the very first scene we meet oh, him. That's because He's kind of a jackass to her friends. That's not even like he just feels crazy. Like, the first thing out of his mouth is about how shitty her friends are. Like, nothing about him is charming. And, you know, we've talked we talked about that. Like, I could... I can see why Veronica, being young and naive, followed this crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Like, why he was able to convince her to do this stuff because he was very charming. Mm-hmm. And she didn't realize he was crazy. He kind of started subtly. It wasn't like he was like, bam, let's go murder someone. And then but by like, the time it came in, 
she was already she was too wrapped up in it yeah. and like i know um my coworker. i don't think i told you this but they did uh she's in the play at her college mm-hmm. i don't remember exactly what she does but they did heather's last year okay and when they were talking about casting choices and stuff they she said they talked extensively about whoever was jd had to be incredibly charismatic he couldn't mm-hmm. just be like crazy it wasn't necessarily he had to be like good looking he just had to be he had to be charismatic you had to like him you had to want to follow him from the beginning yeah and that's and that's important and i feel like the character of jd in the tv show doesn't have those qualities no and also veronica in the original movie was very much a character who she had she was friends with the heathers but she had a brain of her own yeah and uh very much made evident through her diary entries while veronica in the the tv show just feels like she'll follow anyone who's anyone for no reason and then they have like random traits from the movie that are thrown in that they give to this character that just feels so out of place yeah and it's like it's anytime the someone spouts a line of dialogue from the original movie it feels very forced yeah. Like, almost like they're turning towards the camera and winking. Right. Uh, I think I'd, I'd said to you that, you know, um, I personally think the best Heather's TV show we had was season one of Scream Queens. Yeah, That felt the most like it had the tone of, un- of Heather, understood the comedy, but wasn't trying too hard. Granted, yeah. they weren't telling the story of Heather's, but you can tonally, definitely see yeah. tonally and based on their hierarchy of characters how... You know, how the Chanel's or the Heather's. Heather's. Yeah. Um, I just want to forget about this because I forgot to tell you this after I talked to uh, my coworker. But so she's seen the play. Mm-hmm. You remember how Heather McNamara, uh, her parents were super over the top and just weird. Mm-hmm. She said that's a direct nod to the play. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah, because I, I was telling her how weird it came off that like they just seem like if anyone's gonna kill themselves it would be you like it they just Mm -hmm. seem so weird and then the one that that we just ended on she's literally dying next to them and they don't even notice she said a big comment was the play was that they um the parents in that were super like separated they did not relate to the kids they were 100 unaware they were all just shitty parents like it wasn't just her parents so she said the way that those parents are acting is actually a nod to the musical. Interesting. So that was something I feel like we might appreciate if we ever see the musical. Yeah. Because not having seen it, it just seemed kind of weird. Because um, Heather McNamara was a very sympathetic character in the original movie, where I actually felt for her when she kind of felt that their only her only path was suicide, and I felt like I did care about Heather McNamara in the TV I was show. I say version. yeah, I did too. Um. But I felt like they kept undercutting her with, with, I don't know. I guess I can't really explain why it felt, feels a little different with her. But I feel like she is thus far the most interesting character in the movie. Because we didn't get much of her in the original movie. Yeah. So being able to expand on her has been yeah. one of the things I've really liked. Some of the things that just feels very dated, any of the scenes with the teachers. Yeah. Feels very dated. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said when we were talking about it before, a lot of... A lot of them feel like the boardroom scenes, the characters just don't make sense for the time period they're supposed to yeah. be in. Like, you know, I'm not, like, guys still get away with doing shitty things. Like, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. 
But like, yeah, just... there, there's a subplot of a, a teacher sleeping with a student, and there's yeah. constant boardroom meetings talking about this. And just like the casual way it is, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It just feels weird, especially because it's not like just him and the one guy or the couple guys that know about it and are on his side, like making distasteful jokes about it. Like, it's a serious boardroom meeting with him and the woman teacher and the principal, and it's just very, like, weird. Like, I could see that happening in the 80s, but I can't see that happening in that way with those people there yeah. now. Yeah. Um, before I talk about some of the things I did like about the show, um, I will say that the, the, the killing of Heather Chandler was one of the most awkward scenes I could think of. This is a, so in the original Heathers, they try to kill Heather Chandler. It they, they, they pass it off very much as a mistake. And you to this day, based on Christian Slater's performance, you don't know if it was he intentionally didn't... Because they, they, they have Heather Chandler drink some essentially Drano, and it kills her. And they were joking originally that they're going to give her some a drink that was a combination of orange juice and milk to make her throw up. And JD's like, well, we give her this instead. And it's kind of a joke. And they, they have both stuff poured into a cup. And Veronica grabs the wrong cup and takes it. And JD notices uh, and doesn't. And he's trying to get her attention, but doesn't go through. And his performance of it, you never are clear if he's not saying something to intentionally kill Heather Chandler. Or like it, it's very it's fun. very vague. Yeah. It's very vague. Where in this one, he's like, I got these these German pills that'll make you throw up, but we're, I'm gonna put it into a bag of corn nuts. And, Which just seems so weird. And it's like, and they're like, oh, I bet you won't eat this entire bag of corn. It's it, it just feels very awkward. Um, and it wasn't done as elegantly as I think they could. Yeah, because then like when he he goes. Oh, I grabbed the wrong pills. I thought these were the throw-up ones, but they're the suicide ones. Oh, no. And it just seemed very, like, oops. <laughs> and then, so one thing that I like about it, I like that they've changed it on, you know, they put it on his head. For those who haven't seen Heather's, shame on you, it's been forever, uh, Heather Chandler is killed pretty much within the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, you know, the, it's kind of, Heather's is kind of a, a allegory for the Hydra. Where you cut off one head, another one will just sprout in its place. Yeah. What Heather's a TV show does very interestingly is Heather Chandler's killed. The other two Heathers are trying to figure out who's going to take over. And the most unexpected person in the school ends up taking over. Yeah. But then we find out Heather Chandler's not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where, like, she had just revealed herself back to the school when we when we where we left off so we don't really quite know where that's going to play out yet yeah but um and she what i think is interesting is i know you said you thought at least at the moment that she thinks jd did it mm -hmm. and not veronica i think she blamed i think she knows they were both involved yeah because like she just the way she's blackmailing them and the kind of like wink wink you know, mm -hmm. I attempted to kill myself, so now I'm going to be the face of suicide, like, and you guys are now going to do everything I want, like, she knows that it's their fault, and yeah. she knows that they tried killing her, and I think it's kind of interesting that instead of, like, going to the police and being like, these people tried to murder me, I didn't actually... She's going to milk it. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting that they've changed that, that, um, 
I think the way that they revealed her still being alive was not done nearly as well as the they, they that was the this episode one cliffhanger to get you coming back for episode two which i believe is why they did it yeah i would have held off on it a little bit until you know um and made her stalking veronica be a little more shocking as to who it could be um, yeah that'll make more sense whenever you watch the show um but and then um it also makes no sense too so the entire school and the news is reporting about heather chandler's death her parents found her and resuscitated her. How right. is this not? How has this not come out sooner that she wasn't dead? Right, like the. You know that I think about it. So like they had this. Well, granted, I guess no. Okay, so they had this like whole thing about because she posted that video was posted from her account where she seemed like she was gonna kill herself, and that was like at night. The next day, I assume, is when her parents find her. They found her, like, not even shortly after that because, or she would have choked to the death. They yeah. had to have found her within. Like, it, it looked like daytime, so it was at least yeah. the next morning. And so the next morning, they find her. She throws up and she's fine. And somehow, there's still a memorial. Mm-hmm. There's still, like... You know, all these... And I granted, I understand the news saw it and they ran with it. But, like, the school still holds a memorial. Like, I'm pretty sure someone would have contacted the parents. And be like, hey, I'm really sorry about this that happened. But, like, no one went to the parents and said, I'm sorry your daughter died. It's it's funny. Sometimes I think about, like, when I first started screenwriting. And I'd get really tied up in details. Be like... Oh, I can't have a character pretending to be dead who's still in high school because her parents would find her or would say something and they would rat them out. And one of the guys that taught me screenwriting, Ryan Plato, said, logic will kill your movie. Sometimes I wish I could turn off my brain and write something as fucking ridiculous as that, but I don't think I could ever bring myself to do so because it makes no sense. And I mean, I know at least we're not the only people that think that because I know my coworker so that they're not, they're, they're going to finish it, but she's leaning towards not really liking it either. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, like, I, you know, as I said before, I do like the character of Heather Chandler. I think she's, mm-hmm. it's cool to see a character with, like, her weights and everything be so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought, like, while the, her, the other two Heathers, at least so far, like, I mean, felt sympathetic for Heather McNamara. The other, uh, Heather Duke, we don't know much about him, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting that it's a him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's like, there's definitely things I like. I like the general style of the show. Yeah, I like the style a lot. I like the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. It's very I, I, this is going to be one of the few times I'm going to say I don't care for the synth score. The synth score in it is actually good, but the score for Heather's was so much more interesting because it's got this creepy Twin Peaks jazz feel to it yeah. that it's so far removed from that it just feels off. I never thought I'd hear the day though, where you're, you don't like the synth score. I like the synth score just not necessarily tied into Heather's. It's just weird because like that's your like go-to for 90% of everything. It, it is. Synth score. It's gotta go with the synth score except in this. However <laughs> it is really funny when they'll do the occasional snaps and claps that are from the original soundtrack. Yeah. It's like, well, that shows even more awkward because then you're just mixing stuff i do think the synth score matches the style of the show more though i agree i because, agree like i mean they have a lot of like like their opening scene is the neon lights and the you know the black light which their opening is fucking killer yeah um pun intended so i feel like 
it just reminds me of those horror films that are very bright mm-hmm. and weirdly colored, like what you did with um, mm-hmm. uh, Do You Love Me, where you used unnecessary, like colors that weren't necessarily like from a source. You just yeah. added colors yeah. because. And I feel like that matches at least what I think of when I think of sin scores. What, yeah, I guess it makes sense. What I'm looking forward to, or what I'm hoping they do, because Heather's, I was describing to Amanda, is. It's still considered a comedy, yeah. but it's only a comedy through, I want to say, half the film. Yeah. The setup is funny, the characters are funny, but then once it starts ramping up, pretty much from the moment that Veronica realizes that she actually killed Ram and um, Mike? No. Kurt, Kurt, Kurt. Ram and Kurt. Um, from that point on, it's not a comedy anymore, and it becomes yeah. kind of like a serious, it becomes a really serious film. I'm hoping to see a tonal shift like that as well, where I'm hoping that they kind of, they, they, they establish the funness and goofiness at the beginning, but at a certain point, it gets serious, it gets, yeah. it gets more serious. So that's what yeah. I'm hoping for. Um, I do think the, like I said, I mean, there was the one musical nod that um, my coworker told me about, but the ones that we've gotten from the movie, I thought those were cool, like the bags of chips whatever the title was but it was like the band or oh, something big that, fun yeah or and then like when kurt and ram get each other that stuff because one of them felt bad yeah, it was like, like the bag of mineral stuff water yeah he's, he's like oh what'd you get me he's like oh a bottle of mineral water um who's this it's um what's her name um shit i'll cut that out yeah. it's like a postcard of this dead lady on it and then yeah. oh i mean she was stud puppy and it's yeah like, like i thought it's it was cool. verbatim like what they planted on the bodies in the film. Yeah, and I also too love to, like, yeah, I also love that, like, in the original movie, Veronica's like, mineral water. It's like, if it ain't a brewski in this town, you're considered gay. Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> so, like, those nods are really fun. Yeah, that is that is fun. Um, like, I like that they actually made Kurt gay. In this, yeah. Which, yeah. Which um, works. Tonally, I agree that, like, overall, obviously we haven't finished this show yet, but Scream Queens, I feel like, matched Heather's better tonally Mm -hmm. like it was they were serious it was funny but they were serious yeah at the right times yep so So we'll have to see if this matches I guess this is me saying if you didn't check out Scream Queens go check out Scream Queens but also check out the Heathers yeah I feel like it's worth watching it's worth watching and we might even watch another episode tonight and I figured we'd we're gonna finish it I mean there's I don't believe I don't believe there's not uh, another season yeah so so there's only 10 episodes so it's worth at least worth watching but Scream Queens was great we were gonna get a gecko or a fish and name it after was it Brad Chadwell Chad Radwell. Chad Radwell, that's it. <laughs> Chad Radwell's <laughs> one of the best characters his, in TV history. Wasn't his whole family like Chad Brad? Brad Radwell, yep. And then <laughs> there's there's Tad Radwell. <laughs> we were gonna get a school of fish and name them all that. Yeah. Um I forgot about that. <laughs> I wanna rewatch that show when we're done with this. Yes. Well and then we eventually have to get back to Twin Peaks as well. That's true, yeah. Um But uh yeah, I guess that's the show, guys. Um yep. it's kind of a disjointed episode, uh, but you know, that's what you come to love and respect about our show. Um, Keep your eyes tuned to the Facebook and Instagram pages. I might have something big coming up soon. Um, What? It's the Patreon. I was kind of burying the wheel. Oh, you didn't have to actually say it. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to be launching a Patreon um, (laughs) for the show where once a month you'll get some bonus audio from us. 
Um, I'm already planning the first piece of bonus audio is probably going to be a commentary for the movie Heathers, where I'm going to do a DVD commentary so you can watch along with me. So anything that you've ever wanted to, you know, hear me talk about with a specific movie, you can hear it now. And i got some other things planned as well, so there's going to be more information about that. As always, please like, rate, and review on your podcast app of choice. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and Libsyn. Uh, you can find the pod. You can find the podcast on Instagram at Shameless Picture Show, and I am at Michael underscore Vires. Amanda, in case people want to follow along with you, where where can they find you? Um, Amanda R Vires on Instagram, and then you can find the dogs and the cats at at the Awful Waffles. On Instagram, yeah, there, there's some good stuff on there. You get to you get to follow along with our dogs Frankenstein and Ralphie, and our three cats Massimo, Rocket, and Lumen. Yup, all kinds of crazy adventures. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back soon. I'm sure me and Nick will have an episode coming up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>